Hello, and welcome to episode 99 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. I'm LP. And I'm Will. All right, gentlemen, I missed last time, and I'm not upset about it at all. Uh, I'm so glad we're all here <laughs> hanging out. Did that sound sarcastic? I'm salty. <laughs> I wanted to hug you. Uh, yeah, that's right. I was like, wait a minute, what? And then, no, I, remember, I wasn't here in the, for the live version Let's last time. In. Yes, in continue. front of our one studio audience, Sarah. Thank you, yep. Sarah. Shout out to Sarah. And it's very unfortunate because it's the second time you've had to miss last second to meet our lovely Brent and LP in person. Yes, so I'm yet to meet Brent and LP in person, and eventually I will, but. It was a it was a heck of an adventure, but that's a story for another day. Maybe we'll tell it on episode one hundred. But um, this week we're picking up for uh, "Never Say You Can't Survive," yeah, part section two, led by our illustrious Brent. What you got, buddy? Illustrious. All right. Um. So section two is either the section that okay. So it, it basically it talks about what's a story and how do you find one. I feel like. This is either a part of the process where people either have a whole lot of fun or they absolutely hate it. Like, I know writers who fall into both camps. Like, they love finding new things. They love trying to find a story. And you have other writers that's, like, trying to find something to write and stick with. It's, like, pulling their eyeballs out. So, yeah. So, I think it's going to be fun. I think it'll be fun for either or, or either person. Like, because there's a lot in here that Charlie Jane talks about. And as always, this book just has so much information in it, we can't cover it all in a single episode. So I'm going to hit on some highlights. Um, you're going to, you know, we're going to have some discussion and we'll see what we get out of it. So um, right off the bat in section two, the first uh, chapter is called Don't Be Afraid to Go on Lots of First Dates with Story Ideas. So essentially, um, Charlie Jane says that, you know, think of, a brand new story idea as if you're going on a first date. There's not any, there's not a lot of pressure. There's not a lot of, you know, I could be, I don't know. Uh, actually, I'm going to actually, I'm not even going to try to justify the metaphor. I'm going to move right into letting us say how we feel about it. So how do you feel about the concept of new stories as first dates? I'm going to start with Nick. I love it. Uh, Cause it makes sense. And I'm going to say it makes sense because I have written the same short story four different times now. And on the fourth or fifth iteration, I finally know what I'm doing with it and how many more dates I want with it. Um, so it's a great concept, like really like a first date. You're getting to know something on a very surface level. It takes many more dates to dive into there. So I, I personally like it. Okay, I want to actually, I really wanted, uh, I want LPS to say about this one, because I know on your Instagram, you post these little uh, snippets about people talking about dating in LA and how, <laughs> and how God awful it can be. So uh, yeah, what is your thoughts on the concept of a new story idea as a first date? I um, am very happy that this works for other people. Um I'm very much aware that it doesn't work for me. <laughs> That's why I'm happy I mentioned the two kinds of people because I was like, I know it's not going to work for everyone. You know, I come to an idea and I usually have like 
I, I don't stop at like, oh, what's the speculative element, right? And so like, I come to an idea and I'm like, okay, cool. And then, and then, and then, and I kind of cut off all of the options so that it's streamlined into a thing. So at least in my head, part of it is kind of written, which cuts down on the writing time, allegedly. Um, but yeah, like I could, I, I could never. Okay. Yeah. And I'm so glad I mentioned beforehand the two kinds of people that might get something out of this because I know that there's writers who just are not going to be serial daters like this. All right. Well, (laughs) you're from another first date Mecca, I guess, New York City. So how do you feel about this concept of new story ideas as first dates? So then it means that my first date with the story will last 10 minutes and then I'm like, I'm done with you. Um, <laughs> I kind of like that. I think it can work. Like my first dates usually, I mean, nine times out of 10, they're 10 minutes long. Cause I'm like, okay, this isn't feeling it. But story wise, it's also something that could be like, um, when you're brainstorming and you're just trying to like, uh, come up with ideas and start like maybe a couple pages of a short story or maybe even a novel and be like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to put that way. I'm going to try something different. I started a lot of them like that. And that wound up to be the book I'm writing now. I never thought, I never thought I'd write that book, but it just clicked. See, I like that. I kind of echo some of my thoughts, but before I get on that, uh, Marshall, how do you feel about this idea of, First dates, story ideas. I don't know. I can see it working for people. I'm kind of, I kind of in the in the camp of like, all right. Well, if I've if I'm getting to the point to where I'm writing it, I want to do something with it. You know what I mean? So like, I don't like the metaphor of the first date thing because it feels like then I'm at the like, well, I'm just like dating to date. Like I like having ideas, but once I commit to write something, I feel like I want to stay with that idea because I know I could do something with it at some point. I don't want to just give up on it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. The metaphor doesn't all the way work for me. I get what she's saying and I get why it does work for some people. And I was also a little jealous because I think she said something along the lines of, I have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of ideas or something like that. And I'm like, I have some ideas. I don't have that many ideas. And I kind of want to do something with the ideas I have. You know what I'm saying? So okay, people have I stuff to that. say. I feel okay. that. All right. Ooh, dang. Everybody's popping hey, off. Okay. All right. Go ahead, boys. Um, I think Nick uh, was first. Nick, you go. So I feel like I view it different than you guys. Uh, I'm viewing it as a first date is in like, you're taking your story idea and you're going on a date. You're going to go see and explore things. See if you want to go out and keep exploring that. The way you made it sound, Marshall, I'm like, it almost felt like you were seeing it as like you had to keep going on a first date over and over again. Where I'm like, no, I'm well, like, you got to take that story idea and okay. then go on a first date and get to know it more. So maybe, like, am I? No, I think I think I know what you're saying. And I I get that's probably how it sounded, but my thing is like, if I'm interested in somebody, I want it to be more than a first date. You know what I'm saying? I'm not. I'm but not you, a big but first. You get, but you got to have a first date, right? No, I get it, dude. But I'm saying like, I haven't had that many first dates. This might say something about me, but I like fall quickly, and I want to stay with that person you know what i'm saying oh you're so cute marshall i just want to pinch your cheeks oh god see this is why i don't talk to you people no this is i mean no but i like that perspective though because this probably is a different perspective uh 
you know, if you haven't had that many first dates, like your perspective of that idea would be different. All right, well, you had your hand up. I mean, what do you I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm a hoe. So, of course, I want to go <laughs> as many first dates as possible. Um, so, I'm I'm game. That's all. All right. LP, you had yours up, too. So I'm gonna... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, you can you can definitely, like, take an idea and date it around. I agree with that 100%. I think the, the thing for me is um, I'm not going to find more than two ways to address this story that speak to like my aesthetic, like the way that I like to write and the things I like to write. And like, it takes so long for me to dig down into a version of that, that I think is resonant for me and hopefully resonant for someone else that I could, I like going around in that way. I, I don't know. No, there's no way, but I respect everyone else's opinion. Allegedly. I mean, I, 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 I'm kind of with Will. Like, I want to just go. I mean, I have like, I, with, I guess I'm like Charlie J too. I just have so many ideas, and sometimes I'm, I'm terrible as a person. I guess maybe when it comes to story dating, because it'll be like I'm out here in a relationship with this story, but you know, I need a couple of first dates to like re- revitalize me to make me feel young again. I guess because like I'll, I'll play around with other ideas while I still have a big idea. Like, so I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm totally a proponent of this method of just like. Write it down as it comes. Go on a date with it. See where it goes. If it doesn't go anywhere, hold on to it. Maybe later on you can invite all five of them over and y'all can figure out and have some fun and figure out if you can make something out of it. I I mean, how many stories? I mean, I've had stories that have like been born out of multiple ideas all at once. So, but maybe that's kind of like what I was saying earlier. How like you guys? I was being a little cheesy, but at the same time, like I feel like I don't have that many really good ideas that I can just bounce around from one to the next. Like I want, like when I get a good idea, I want to stay with it and I want to make that story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, and this kind of, I guess goes into the next thing, I guess there's a difference between an idea and then something that actually has like legs under it or whatever. So, so I, uh, there's this premise and then there's the story. So, okay. So as the book defines it, okay. So I'll just use the example they gave. So centaur bounty hunters is a premise. Like that is just like, or I don't know, like, uh, lesbian necromancers is a premise, but the story in this, in this example, centaur bounty hunters in love that actually has, uh, um, there's something happening. Something is happening with these characters. Or you can say lesbian necromancers who want to kill each other. That's a that's a story. Like there's something actionable happening here. So how can you tell the difference between or when do you know if the story idea is actually valuable and worth your attention? Like when do you feel like it moves from that point of being a premise into a story for you personally? I'm going to start with LP on this one because I feel like your thoughts are going to be interesting so you know how she's like you know go on 50 first dates with the idea with the premise mm-hmm. i don't do that i start writing and in the writing i find the thing that makes the thing a thing that works uh which is like very very pantserish and i recognize that but like i'm not gonna figure out what's gonna work like i'll figure out character stuff and setting stuff while doing it i just have to make sure that when i hit it i hit it appropriately i try to write 
a story about sexually transmitted superpowers. And like, I was doing it in the context of like gay men cruising and it didn't work. And it didn't work until I put it into a support group. And I was like, oh, now this shit, this shit here has legs. So I might. And like, once I found that drill down, I'm, st- I'm still working on this. But like, that's when the thing happened. So I, I can't plan too far ahead. Like, give me the premise. Let me sit down and try to find some things. And then the characters will come out of it. The setting will come out of it and blah, 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 blah. But like, I just have to go. Okay. All right. Um, Nick, how do you know when your story idea is valuable and worth your attention and is able to go from that premise into the actual story? I think this is a good one. Um, and this is going to be hard for me to answer because of how much I'm writing and having to produce on the fly with new stories for my masters here. Um, I don't know if you feel the same, Marshall, so please chip in. Um, but I feel like they're all worth it at, at a given point, right? Um, and I'm going to say that because you bleed on the page. Once you're comfortable enough bleeding on the page and like really putting yourself out there, like I feel like every story is valuable to you because you're going to learn something either about yourself or about your writing, regardless of what's going to happen with that story. Um, I think this is a trick question because if you look at valuable and attention seeking for stories that can I publish this or not, you've already lost. Um, You're not going to write a good story if you're going that route. So for me, uh, I'm going to go with all stories are valuable and worth my attention as long as I'm a student seeking in that and learning from my own writing. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Nick. And I think depending on <laughs> what you said early on, all the stories we are writing right now have to matter because otherwise we're not going to hit our deadlines because you've already committed to writing the story. You know what I'm saying? So it also depends on the context too. You know, if you, I mean, in the publishing world too, if you've committed to a three book series and you've already written book one, two and three have kind of, kind of fallen in line. It's on some way, you know what I mean? Like, I I guess I'm just saying like, I've, (laughs) the story I have to write in the next few days is a, what did I say? A horror comedy? Because I apparently just want to suffer for the next few days. And even my professor was like, that's going to be hard. But I have to commit to it and do it because I have I want to hit my deadline because I want to know within myself I can hit that deadline regardless of what the story is. You know what I'm saying? Because I've committed to it. Okay. So y'all definitely took that in a different route that I was thinking. But it's interesting. I like it. Um, okay. Before I say anything, Will. Did we misinterpret what, what? the question? No, 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 no. Y'all did. Y'all, no, y'all did fine. I just was thinking of it in a different way. Y'all took it in another way. It's still valuable. No, regardless. Ask the, yeah. ask the question again. So what I was saying is, how do you determine, how do you know when a story idea you have is valuable and worth your further attention? Basically, when it's moving from the idea phase into something that actually has legs and you want to work on it. Um, I think for me, it, I ha- it has to hit an emotional core. Um, and the one that hits the emotional core, the strongest is what I'm going to start writing right away. Cause you know, you have all the, a lot of times you have all these different ideas going on. And once you kind of start dabbling and 
each of those stories, you kind of figure, well, what's, what's pulling me more? And usually for me, it, it deals with emotion or something I'm grappling with. So like all of 2020 and 2021, it was like being able to process grief in some type of capacity. So, yeah. So, okay. So I think, um, I kind of talked about it in a commercial way and also in like a, a creative craft way. So I thought it was interesting. Y'all took it the business aspect too. Cause now I'm, cause yeah. What were now you I'm thinking? Like, I wanted, huh? Yeah. Tell us well, what you were thinking. thinking the yeah. No, no, no. What's no, your that, answer? That, um, I was thinking the creative way, but the craft way, but the way y'all took it was interesting too, because that that is important. Like, is it valuable? Like, should you consider market and publishing and business and all that when you're thinking if it's valuable or not? Because you're right. If you're contracted to something, like if you're on book two of a trilogy, I wonder what happens if you're on book two of a trilogy or something. And that's really not the story of your heart at the moment. But you got to sit your ass down and write that book, too, because you're contracted for it. I, I feel like that's when writing is work, though. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. It's great to be able to write what you want to write when you want to write it. But the flip side of that is like, you know, you know, you if this is not the book of your spirit in this moment, but you're contracted to write it, you know, figure out how to do four 750 word sprints a day so you can hit that 3000 words a day and get to 90,000 within a month. So that rough draft is finished and you can come back to it. Yeah, look, I, I promise you, I'm going to have stories on that topic soon enough. But um, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I, that's, that's why I found it interesting that you just brought it up because I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even think about it in that respect. So, yeah, no, that was good. Um, I'll take it to the next another level here. All right. Uh, so kind of kicking it off, I guess, now y'all got to talk about what it takes for you to get the story, the story running, get its legs and whatnot. So in the um, chapter seven, so the secret to good storytelling or the secret to storytelling that Charlie Jane says is it's basically just one good scene after another and then another and then another. So she describes the scene as the basic unit of storytelling and that as a general rule, what she has, um, a good scene is one where something changes or at least something happens. So, um, I guess well, the question I want to ask based off of that, uh, what are some scenes in fiction that you think that you can think of that do this really well, that really fall in this definition of being like this basic unit of storytelling, but it kind of follows in the rule of it's one where something changes. It can be from anywhere in fiction, TV, books, video games, even, uh, Will, you got one? Yeah. So I, I love this question because I'm writing my webtoon right now and every panel actually has to move the story forward. And for me, for an example of like a scene that really changes the story is the dark Phoenix saga of when Jean goes in and annihilates that planet. Yeah. And it sends really rippled effects. And I think since I'm so right now, like writing my novel and then I'm switching to writing the script for the webtoon, it's really made me think about how each scene really needs to have like a gravity and makes it want to be pushed forward. 
and that, you know, you want to make sure that it just keeps one, your attention, the writer, like you want to actually like, be like, this is great. So when I feel like I'm lagging right now on my novel, it's nice that I'm working on that script for the webtoon because then it pushes my novel in a way because I'm like, oh, I just need to visually see this. How would I visual visualize this so I can get something interesting or a moment that's interesting? So Dark Phoenix Saga. That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, any others come to mind? I have, I have one actually. Um for me, and it's it's one of the it's one of those scenes that I can I don't think I'll ever be able to get out of my head is when um Wes shoots Annalise in How to Get Away with Murder in season two at the end of season two, and at the end she's saying his real name, and then it was like, wait, what the? Not only is this woman <laughs> she got shot by this guy that she's been protecting, but all of a sudden she says his real name, and it was this culmination of all this shit where it's like. It, it, to me, it was such a perfect scene because not only did it change everything, but it resolved so much at the same time. And I've, I've always been like, this is this was so freaking well done. It was like, you, he figured out that old girl had been dead the whole time. He figured out she had been lying to him. And then, you know, and it's like all this tension, all this, and it just pops. And then even after you feel like all this stuff got resolved, it throws one more screw screwball at you. So I always think of that scene as just like this really perfect encapsulation of like how to tie everything together and still keep the story moving forward in an unexpected way. Uh, I've been watching a lot of TV lately. Um, and I guess I want to go back to something I haven't really watched in a little bit because I haven't finished it yet. But does anybody watch um, uh, Only Murders in the Building? Does anybody watch oh, that? no, I heard of it though. So what I love about it is it is a it's a kind of meta mystery that centers around people doing a podcast and also solving a mystery as they do it. And it's Martin short and, and whatever. And it's amazing. But the cool thing about it is the scenes are phenomenal. And there's always something that shifts with the character or something every single time. And at the end of the episode, there's always like that. Oh shit. Kind of thing that puts a twist on everything that makes you have to watch the next one. And that's kind of like a good shows like that are really good to see this thing kind of play out in a, in a visual way, which I think all of us are giving examples of anyway. And I just realized LP was trying to talk and he was muted. And then I talked over him. Is that what happened? Well, he, he was didn't muted, talk so over me because you couldn't hear me. There was no way. You're good. You're fine. Yeah. I wasn't even looking. I'm I was just like, I'm going to say things anyway. Go ahead. No, I, was looking, I didn't see him either. Cause I was like looking right at you, but yeah. <laughs> it's all cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Charlie Jane talks about how the CW is a uh, is like perfect for seeing how a scene can work on so many levels at the same time. And baby, yep. I mean, it's cute and everything. Lord knows I'm a CW child, but how to get away with murder will actually like if you want to take a because like there are other Shondaland shows. There's Grey's Anatomy. There's Scandal, which are great, but there is so you can't do something else and watch how to get away with murder. No, you have literally. to like focus. You have to focus because there's like moving pieces, and it's not just like one episode. It's like literally the entire stuff from the whole season, and it'll call back stuff from two seasons ago and bring it forward. It's like you got this, though. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't. Yeah. That that's my prescriptive thing. Go watch How to Get Away with Murder from the beginning. Actually, don't watch it from the beginning. Watch the last episode to the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> and see if you can piece it together. Because, <laughs> like, literally, it's one of the few shows that I think, for me as a writer, where I I never felt like I knew what was going to happen. 
Mm. Like I always, with a lot of other shows I can watch and be like, eh, I enjoyed it, but I kind of saw it coming. Like that show I think is a real masterclass of how to use, use scenes to not only play with, um, to push things and make things happen, but to play with audience expectations and so on and so forth. And I don't want to go on the diatribe because I could talk about that show forever. So anyway, uh, did anybody have any other scenes that came to mind for them as like kind of like perfect works of like? I do, and I hate bringing this up, but uh, it's it's George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert! Uh, it's when Jon Snow dies, like it changes the complete landscape of that entire series. And then they yep. do it again when Jon Snow comes back to life. I mean, that that's really resonating with what I'm reading right now and what I'm watching. So like, uh, it, I don't like, I don't recommend George R. R. Martin. I too rapey for me and a lot of his stuff and demeaning to women. So I don't recommend him. However, this is a good piece. Um, and it's a great scene. You made me think of another great scene, though. As soon as you said it, the scene when um Cersei got hers—well, not got hers, but when she um when she blew that church right on up. Oh yeah, my yeah. gosh! That, that <laughs> scene was that scene was perfect because it, it was so calm in a lot of in a lot of it. A lot of it was so calm and just really measured and really and just built and built and built. And all of a sudden, you lost. And, and, and you didn't even blink because you it didn't feel illogical at all. But you literally lost like ten characters in one boom. Like it was yep. just like boom done, and everything changed. And it was no, so was so well done. Oh, absolutely! And I keep when you asked this question, I kept thinking death scenes, death scenes. What's what's a type of scene that really changes everything? I death scenes is all I kept thinking of. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, not to be morbid or anything. My girl Marjorie still justice for Marjorie, but ah, oh, that was a good one. All right, anyway, um, all right. So we we talked about scenes. So one of the things um out after the scene because if the scene's the basic unit, then the next thing that's kind of like what you have to kind of like figure out in telling your story is how to uh, make it powerful, right? We we all everyone wants their story to have some kind of impact or you know leave someone feeling something at the end of it and one of the most powerful ways that charlie jane talks about to make that happen is to show how people change and i love how she says that fiction is superior to real life because we can actually show change happening in real time like we all know that relative that has been the same the entire life and they're stubborn as hell they're never going to change no matter what's been put in front of them well you don't really have to deal with that person in fiction necessarily So, um, but what I wanted to do is kind of like do a flip of the previous question where instead of asking about stories where you've seen powerful change in characters, I want to hear about stories where you feel like the character change was completely unearned and it did not work. All right, uh, Marshall, I saw that head go Uh, quick. (laughs) I was, I was hoping you were going to ask that question because I had an example for both and it was kind of the same. So while I was sick, which is why I missed the last thing, um, while I was sick, I watched Infinity War and Endgame back to back in the same night. Okay. Um, okay. What, what always gets me about Infinity War, I uh, know, sorry, um, Endgame is the beginning when Hawkeye loses his family. 
that to me is like that moment of he's like calling for his family. And I'm just like, dude, like that hits hard as a father. Right. Then he goes full Roan and starts killing hella people. Right. Okay. When it didn't feel all the way earned, because I was with him, I was like, get, I get your mat. But then eventually it takes him years to catch up with them or what? Three years to catch up with them. And then black widow shows up and was like, come with me. And he's like, don't give me hope. But that was enough to like, and everybody forgives him. I feel like everybody was just like, dude, we're just going to forget that you killed probably a thousand people. Right. Because those people of color. <laughs> because, but that's, but that's my, so you know what I'm saying? It wasn't, yeah, it didn't sit well on a lot of levels and I'm watching it laying on this floor. I'm just like, I don't know. I like Hawkeye just fine, but I don't think he should be this forgiven this quickly. You know what I'm saying? So no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get you guys. And I, I don't know if you watched the net, not Netflix, the Disney mm-hmm. plus show. I feel mm-hmm. like they tried to get to that. They but, tried. Okay, well, I think you were going to talk yeah. about it. So, ahead, yeah. Well, I was actually going to talk about Andor because it made me think about how quickly we forgave Darth Vader. And it made mm-hmm. me think about watching Obi-Wan. And I think, you know, they're still, and how he, you know, got to go to the light side of the force, which granted, I think divinity, you kind of think of it as they're more forgiving than maybe humanity. But I still think like there's, um, there would be so much more to forgive because Luke and um, even somewhat Leia were forgiving of Darth Vader, but what about all the rest of the people that suffered under the empire? And I think Andor really hits it on the head. They really show the ugliness of what the empire did to indigenous people of that planet. I don't know if anyone's uh, watched it so far, but there's these strong themes in it like that. I've only watched the yeah. first couple episodes, so I don't want too many spoilers, but I I'm with you on the, on the Vader thing. Cause I feel like Luke is like forgiving Vader, but we also need to not forget that, early Vader and late Anakin killed millions and millions of people. Right. Well, and I think also when you think of Leia, cause even Leia in the legends books and the books that are now canon, mm-hmm. um, she's not as forgiving because she right. knew the people who were, she knew the people that were suffering under the empire. And it's not that Luke didn't, but Luke is coming from a very naive place, Yep, you know, and while he can forgive about Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru because he feels like they're still good in my father, um, he doesn't have the same type of life experience that almost everyone who was under the Empire had. And specifically when you think about it, his sister, Leia, where she saw the atrocities of the Empire, she, her whole planet was destroyed because of him. And she sees all these things. So as the story goes on, she's not so forgiving of him. She has a complex feelings towards it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be mine's, but from a different point of view, I know this is probably controversial, but I just felt Luke and his turn in last Jedi was so unearned and not, and not built up in a way that felt believable to me because I'm like, this is literally the guy who did not give up on his father, who he knew had done all these things and terrible things and still was like, I believe in him. They're still good in him. They're still good in him. 
and all of a sudden you have a bad dream about your nephew and you're ready to kill him. Like it didn't resonate. It didn't feel, it didn't feel earned. It felt completely out of character. And also too, it felt out of character and unearned to me that he would abandon his sister. There was nothing I had seen that would make me think, Oh, he's going to run from his sister or leave her alone. Like everything that that story had given me up to that point was like, no, he has his sister. He's not leaving her. So I still, and I know the movie's controversial. I know people have their opinions on it, but that particular element of it for me was very hard to swallow, and it did ruin a lot of it for me. You know, real quick on that one point, Brent, I I agree because really, like, I feel like if you really looked at who the chosen one was, it was Leia. She was the one who never. Um, got to the dark side. She was the one. Never once. She was the one who uh, didn't give up. And she was the one, even when the Empire was supposedly dead, she kept on the lookout. She was still looking for things because she didn't believe that it was happening. You know, and she knew people were after her kids and that they were being targeted. So I feel like in a lot of ways, she channeled the Force and for diplomacy and for being resolute. So I think Luke was a little bitch. <laughs> well, and that's uh, why I didn't well. buy him like running. Like I never bought him running. Like exactly running from her. I think like, you, that's, don't you feel like that? That's the, that's the thing that the movies got wrong is like, they needed to have the four of them. And I'm including Lando in it. Um, really be together in that first film to then do a send off to the next generation to give those people the courage. Cause they were the leaders of the right. old rebellion. And even in, and in, 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 while I guess we're on top of that, even like Han's thing in the force awakens felt weird and unearned to me too, because I'm like this, this man came out of where he was at before he was a, wasn't he an admiral or a general or something by the end of the uh, end of it? Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I felt, and and probably this is the problem. I think sometimes when you hand your story off to too many people who don't necessarily get the core of it, or who don't necessarily agree with how each other's telling the story, and I think that's how you end up with these disjointed character moments or this growth that doesn't feel earned. Whereas something like I feel like Avatar: The Last Airbender, because it was so much in control by the same creators, they had a vision. They stuck to it and they were able to build build that character growth that I guess felt very satisfying and very earned. Like Zuko, if if they had misstepped even one, I mean even one misstep with Zuko's journey, it would have I think it would have felt wrong. They literally landed every possible moment they could with him. I mean, I think too with Zuko is like early on, because of the contrast of Uncle Iroh you knew that he was a good kid who was in pain, you know? And I think that's what they did so brilliant with that character is that, you know, there was a coreness of, you see good actions, even though he's angry. And even though he is, you know, going down a darker path at the time, his uncle's like right there, like trying to show him the light. I mean, that show is brilliant. They, they were great writers. Well, more than that, Zuko is misguided, right? Like, 
he's 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 his world is built around a worldview that his father propagated, but like he's out in the world dealing with the world as well as responses to him based on his father. And like the more he sees, the less he the less um he believes, the more he sees, the more disenchanted he becomes. Um yeah. and so in that way, you know, he's giving full story arc that, you know, Aang is cute and all, but like I don't think Aang Aang's arc is Flatlines. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a bit weak compared to some of the characters, but it's, I think it's still, I think it's still there. But oh, um, it, it's okay to love a flat character. It's fine. Yeah. Well, sometimes <laughs> it's good to have it's like you know the to be there to like let the others be doing their thing or whatever. Get, I, I would go get, as far as saying that Zuko is the only one who had a circular arc situation versus this just like cardiac line going on. Um, Cause you know you get a you get a, a Katara episode from time to time and a and a uh, what's the goofy one's name? You get an episode about him every so often. But like, yeah, Zuko is the only person who like changed over the course of the series, in my opinion. Now you know. Now I'm thinking like the. Well, I mean, I think Sokka did have somewhat of a change where he was this goofy character well by the end i think the sense of maturity and weight was coming in on him i still think he was light and carefree but i do feel like he was a little bit more mature by the end of the series but zuko definitely has the biggest change yeah no yeah i mean i think well i think within the case of ang though i think it I don't think I would have wanted him to change. I think that's what makes him work is that he remains the same pure kid that he was to start with, despite all these horrible things that he's encountered over and over again. He still chooses to hold on to who he is and not falter in that. So I think that in a way is his own arc too. Maybe not an arc of change, but yeah. Anyway, but um, I did have one more bad one. I was just thinking about it as we were talking. Spike, God, his it, the whole him getting a soul and all of a sudden becoming a a, a sort of pseudo good person. Absolutely not. Not that I look back on him, but absolutely horrible, absolutely horrible. And 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 the cheap shot of oh he has a soul, as if people with souls ain't out here chopping people up and committing murders and not caring about it. Like i now that I'm like older and can think a little more about it. I think um, we didn't use the concept as a soul as this as this cheap plot device, and Spike's growth was just even him sacrificing himself at the end before they before Angel brought him back was just it didn't feel earned in any way. So I didn't watch a lot of the interior episodes. I graduated from high school the same time that Buffy graduated from high school. And so I would try to dip in, but I never knew what the fuck was going on. But I did catch <laughs> the last season as the last season aired. Um, and uh, and like there were references in the last season with things that Spike had done, like the attempted essay. And I was just like, okay, y'all, like what in the yeah. world could Spike actually do <laughs> that would make this a redeemable anything excuse me and, it, and like and it, yeah didn't buy it and then they wanted to bring him back for 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 angel and i was just like um okay he, he i feel like he was more suited for angel than he was for buffy by that point but yeah but yeah. will i saw you i had to add up 
Yeah. I'm I'll t- I'll tell you something off mic, but I can say this on mic. Um Sarah has been uh Sarah Michelle Geller um has gone on record saying that that whole season six with Spike and her relationship, she got into screaming matches with Joss Whedon because she so deeply disagreed with it. Yeah. There's a couple of things I've heard about that. that Particularly, it's probably more of an off-mic thing, too, because I I don't know if we want to talk about this. I have off-mic stories, too. Yeah, so we'll probably come back to so it. Okay, off, off mic stories. We'll yeah, because I <laughs> it's heard about time to wrap this one up too. So let's talk about the endings. Yeah, yeah, ah, see? yeah. Ooh. Ah, yeah. See? Yeah. Um, we actually do. I do have one more question. It'll probably take us to the end here. So uh, there's some things that uh, that we got to talk about endings here. So um, there's some other stuff in the book that talks about pantsing and plotting, but I didn't want to get into that. So if that's your thing, pick up the book. You can get to it. Uh, so how to tell, let me make sure I get into the end here. The ending is the beginning. Charlie Jane says, uh, when she was writing, she tried to write one story a week. That's a lot of endings. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I can recommend that. But anyway, there's a particular section in here. Sorry, I lost where it was at. Okay. So, um, seven things that she learned about endings. I'll just cover them really quick. Um, a good ending doesn't have to be a surprise or a twist. You don't have to answer every last question as long as the characters find some resolution. Uh, likewise, you don't have to tie off every conflict with the bow, especially if the reader can easily see how things will turn out. Uh, Daniel Mike gives you a chance to wrap up some of the emotional questions in the story after the main conflict has been put to bed. An ending pays off if it addresses the things that you've told us over the course of the story that we should care about. Uh, seven words sum up a really good landing. Nothing will ever be the same again. Okay, so those are seven things that Charlie James says she's learned about endings. Oh, there's one more. Um, wait, did I miss one? Oh, shit. Sorry. Thanks for, the, uh, thanks for catching me on that. I just happened okay, to have sorry. <laughs> Last one. I was thinking it was all on the same. Okay, your final sentences are like the last note in a freaking symphony. That's, that's actually pretty good. Okay, so... What I'm going to ask each of you is what has your own writing up till now taught you about endings? So I'm going to start with, I want to say, I'm going to start with Marshall on this question. Yeah. Uh, So right now we're writing short fiction in one of our classes. And so I'm writing a lot of endings and I'm keeping in mind too the ending that I have for my novel that I've already written, not written, but outlined. Um, but one of the things we've been studying a lot and talking a lot about is basically number five, um, an ending pays off if it adjusts the things that you've told us over the course of the story that we should care about. And it's about keeping that promise, you know what I mean? And it's about keeping, and that ties in and we're talking really short fiction this week, flash fiction, but what are you hinting at and promising at the start of the book of the story? And is that paid off at the very end? And if it's not, it's going to leave this reader unsatisfied. So that's something I've been really focusing on. I really like first lines and I really like hooks of stories, but I, I, I know I'm not sticking the landing like I should. So that's what I've been really hyper-focusing on right now is making sure that I have basically wrapped up what I promised at the very start. Um, and again, some of those other things like 
you know, not everything has to be with, you know, tied off with a neat bow. The easy, easy things to figure out, but those major promises that in the very beginning of a, of a story is what I definitely have to pull off. Otherwise it doesn't work. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Nick, what has your own writing up till now taught you about ending? Yeah. So, I mean, same boat as Marshall, right? I'm writing lots of endings right now, but what I'm, what I'm learning where like I could be better at, um, in shorter fiction. Um, I'll say that cause I do struggle with shorter fiction and making it feel like it's a short story, not a larger portion of a book. Um, but book ending your promise. Uh, and that's something I'm learning this week with flash fiction and stuff like that. Your opening words, your opening sentence and, and things like that is your promise and bookending. And what does that mean? Repeating the same thing at the end to close it full circle. And I think in my writing, that's what I haven't been doing with the short stuff. Um, so clearly what I was doing was not working. And now I think I found something that will, will work based on the examples that I've been reading lately. All right. So LP, same question. What has your own writing up till now taught you about endings? That they're fucking hard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, the promises thing, I don't have as much trouble with like the main promise of the story. It's the smaller promises sometimes that I don't necessarily pay attention to. And I'm working on that, but more than anything, like, I can get to an end of a story or end of a version of the story and think then I have to think about, so what would make this more poignant? What would make this stickier and more resonant? And so that's a consistent conversation that my writing has. Um, But like, I think I can do that. I think I've got that. Uh, I think the hardest part for me more than anything, because I get to less endings because of how many things I start. Um, I'm really kind of honing in on how to really make those land more than anything else. Uh, Also thinking of sections as endings, chapters as endings or page breaks as endings, like creating something that either has a twist, a knife turn, um, an answer to a promise, like something that that makes people feel resolved, but also pulls them forward. These are the things I think about. I might not write I like that. No, you did. You did. You answered it. I was thinking of Arm and Indigo as you were talking about this, though. You very much answered big and small promises in that story in a way that felt satisfying and all came together at the end. I'm not saying that just because I Because I wrote that story in a month. I do not like Clarion because I wrote a bunch of stories in six weeks. But like, if I can get somewhere in between there, maybe (laughs) like I can finish this short story collection. So we'll see. How I this think goes. Uh, you got it. You got it. All right. Well, for your your own writing, what has your own writing taught you about endings? Wrap everything up. <laughs> I need to wrap everything up. Sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I'll leave a couple things like you know, not not um, resolved. But you kind of have to choose what things you can't have resolved, and what things you definitely need resolved. And so that always makes me go back to my beginnings because sometimes I think my beginnings are overly packed, right? So I have to go through and be like, okay, I need to take this out and leave it for either book two of something or I need to write something else kind of with that. It's like I try to put like everything that's in the kitchen in like a closet 
you know, and I need to take some stuff out of the closet to like make, to make it look orderly. That's what I, that's what I've learned. Yeah. Right, bring uh, us home, Brent. What you got? Yeah. I gotta say, um, <laughs> I've, I've learned that, um, that I either, sometimes I either, it's, oh, so you say father time. I was literally about to talk about the horror story I had to just turn in recently. That was, that was a centered around time. And um, I had to, I guess I learned in that one that it is okay to let the, let the emotion be the end and not necessarily the plot be the end. Because I think I've always focused on like plot, 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 plot. It has to end. Everything has to like, you know, every little plot point has to be addressed. And and to, you know, Charlie Jane's point, I think it was... Um, Number two, you don't have to answer every question. So that's something I've had to learn with my own writing. It's just like, I don't have to learn answer every question. And the thing I've learned is that sometimes by answering every question, you have a very mechanical ending. It feels like you're checking off a checklist when you know when you read it back. So I'm trying to learn that it's okay to let emotions have, I mean, let stories have emotional closure and not necessarily always plot closure. That makes sense. Indeed. Uh, so yeah. we're going to come back to section three at some point, right? Yes. Section three. Section three will be released at the end of um, November, everyone. So you can catch up, start reading and go into our show notes and join our discord. So you too can talk more about uh, never say you can't survive by Charlie Jane Anders. Yeah. Cause there's a lot we didn't cover in the book. Like there's a whole thing about pantsing and plotting and how that doesn't, neither of those distinctions matter and blah, blah, blah. We didn't do all that. So there's a lot more in the book. You should read it. Charlie Jane is just throwing out a wealth of knowledge. So it's really hard to cover all of it in an episode, but yeah, yeah people, check it out. people have been digging these episodes. So, and they, the conversation definitely continues. So jump in the discord for sure. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.